Father, pray that you will speak through your word. Father, don't want nothing to do with myself, Lord. Pray that Christ will be honored and Christ will be exalted this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I've entitled this message this morning, What Are You Waiting For? Isn't it amazing just hearing the power of God in the lives of the people who spoke, Steve and Rob and Martina. Isn't it amazing um, what God is able to do in difficult lives? And it's not just what has happened in, the, in, in, in this day, what God is doing now, but God's been doing that for years. He's been breaking into difficult situations and difficult lives and bringing men and women out for years. I was listening to a, a preacher, a godly preacher, a guy called John Piper. And John Piper went into Angola prison in America. It's a high security prison. And it's a home of um, murderers and other violent men. And this man was preaching in a church bigger than this, and it was packed. There was standing room only. And these men have committed crime. And they may even die in that prison because the um, capital punishment is still legal in that area. And he was speaking to these men. And these men who were in this prison were responding. All of them that was in that, in that room apparently were, were Christian men. And I got to thinking to myself, isn't that amazing? In Angola prison, one of the top security prisons, the gospel is being shared. Now you may say, well, you know, these men, you know, they're scumbags. They need rehabilitation. They need help. I'm not like them. <laughs> I won't do what these guys have done. They need help. But then I, when I thought about those words, I remember what Jesus said. And Jesus said this, but many who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first. There's going to be many surprises in heaven. There's going to be many surprises. People who think that they should be first, that they should be the ones who should be right by the side of the Lord Jesus Christ, won't be there at all. And there's many who are what the society will call scumbags, people who have done crime and who are horrible citizens and, and should be locked away. In God's opinion, some of them will be first. There's going to be a lot of surprises in heaven. Well, Jesus shows um, how he deals with men in the Bible reading that we've seen. I'm going to take you through how Jesus dealt with one man in particular. We know him as the Apostle Paul. But he starts off with his name being Saul. So that's what was his name when he, when he was born. That was his name, but, but he changes his name later on. And so we know him as the Apostle Paul. But in our Bible reading, he is called Saul. Three things about this man that I want to share with you this morning. The first thing about him, that he was a very prideful man. I want you to notice just how violent 
this man was. I want you to notice just how wicked this man was. It says the verse first in our Bible reading this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats and slaughter against the Lord's disciples. He was so committed, so angry that he was breathing out these, these threats and, and even wanting to slaughter anyone who belonged to Jesus Christ. In our Bible reading, we, we hear a man called Ananias saying these words, Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the evil he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. This man was not a nice man. This man was not somebody you would invite around for tea and biscuits. This man was a very ruthless man who breathed out murderous threats and slaughter. You know, I've, I've heard of a, of a young man, um, Mickey Docker knows him, a young man who was driving in his vehicle, and as he was driving, he saw a young black boy being stabbed. This black boy was stabbed. He was laying in a pool of blood, and this young man got out of his vehicle, picks up this boy who's been stabbed, puts him in his car and drives him to hospital and saved his life. Now, we will all applaud a man like that. Only happened a few months ago. We will all say what a wonderful thing he did. But Saul was not like that. When a man called Stephen was being stoned, we read these words. They dragged Stephen out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. There was a man being literally stabbed to death. A man being stoned to death. And what was Saul doing? Look, give me, guys. I'll take your coats for you. Yeah, I'm holding all the coats. I won't let them get dirty. They won't be on the floor. Give me your coats, guys. And carry on stoning and killing that man. That was the time type of guy we're speaking about in the Bible. No mercy, no compassion. Seeing someone being killed was able to turn around and say, I'm going to allow this to happen. Our law courts would call that joint enterprise, meaning that you're just as guilty as the one putting the knife in. You're just as guilty as the one holding the big rock, ready to crash it down on that man's head. Question was is to ask this: Why was he like this? Why was he like this? Well, three reasons why he was like that. First reason: He was zealous. The Bible says this. This is Paul speaking after his conversion. He says this: I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, and was extremely zealous for the tradition of my fathers. He was extremely committed to his way of believing. And if anybody did not agree with him, they must 
be silenced. Today, we don't really have people like that in the UK. What we do have, we have a, a group of people who are extremely committed to the pursuit of pleasure. Extremely committed. They would want to live their life their own way. Trying to tell them to not do that, they turn around and say, well, you know, the motto in my life is this, I only get one life and I'm going to live it. Truth is, you have two lives. One is short and it's down here. The other is eternal. And so that is not very true. But they tell themselves. And if you tell them, and if you speak to them, and you say to them, what you're doing is not right, they will laugh at you and scorn you and push you away. I remember I was working in Brentwood some years ago. And the young men... Uh, around in Brentwood, they used to um, come in to the restaurant I was working in on a Saturday night. After blowing all their wages on a Friday night. They spent everything on a Friday night and they're there now on a Saturday evening and they have a conversation. I hear the conversation and the conversation went like this. It went, you know, great night last night, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Do you remember it? No. How did you get home? I don't I've got a clue how I got home. But it was a great night. Yeah, tell you what, let's do it again next week. That was their conversation. That they thought to themselves that, you know, we must be committed. Every Friday night, we've got to be out there. We've got to be doing the same thing that we've done all the time. Now, I like a bit of football myself. I'm not a keen football player or football watcher, but I like a bit of football. But some people will turn around and even if their wife is in labor and the baby was just about to come out and the World Cup is on the TV, they would say, sorry, love, you got this right? You got this? I'm just going to watch the football for a few minutes. Being so committed to other things rather than being committed to the Christ himself. Well, Paul was like that. He was zealous. He was committed he was committed in the wrong direction. That's the first thing about him. The second thing about Paul that I want you to see, not only was he was zealous, but he, he also thought he was right. He thought he was right. There's a, um, a Bible verse which Paul was thinking to himself, well, he had it in his mind that he was right. He, he had it in his mind that his way was the right way didn't realize that a few years ago, Jesus turned around and said this. Um, let me go back to that one. Okay, yeah, he thought he was right. Sorry, according to Paul, yes, right, he was right. Um, yeah, Paul actually had great education. He wasn't a foolish man. He was educated. He was clever. He could speak different languages. He was a very, very bright man, and he was convinced that he was right. And there's a Bible verse that says this. There's a way that appears to be right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. You know, every police officer will tell you that criminals think that they will never get caught. 
when they do a crime, they think that no one would know. And the great train robbery of 1963 was planned, well planned, took months in planning. Yet every single one of them got caught. Thinking that you are right doesn't necessarily mean that you are right. I love the story that Billy Graham tells in one of his crusades. He tells the story of an of American football game. And the, um, the, 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 the quarterback gets the ball and he, and he runs back and he, and he looks for the receiver to pass the ball to the receiver. And there he is over there and he throws the ball to the receiver. And the receiver done a fantastic catch. He catches the ball with both hands, lands, and he begins to run as fast as he can to the touchdown. But he didn't realize he was running the wrong way. His old teammates watched him going back the other way, touching the ball down in their own side. He was committed. He thought he was right. He had the ball and he's going to run for his life. But he was running the wrong way. I often say to people, do not leave your minds outside. Bring your mind in the church. Because Christianity is about thinking. Christianity is about using your head. When God created you, he created you with a mind. Therefore, he wants you. The Bible would have you um, use your mind, use your reason, use your thinking to ask questions. Listen to what um, God says. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great, unsearchable things you do not know. It's about your thinking. And so many people think that they're going the right direction with never considering, never stopping to open up the word of God and say, what is God saying? Well, let, me, let me put some questions to the Bible. Let me ask some serious questions. Well, Paul thought he was right. The third thing he thought, he thought that his way was the only way. No other way is better than my way. He forgets that a few years ago, Jesus Christ said these words, I am the way. Not I am a way. Jesus said, I am the way. And um, I think Paul forgot that Jesus actually said that. He was convinced that he was following the right way. Convinced that what he was saying was the right thing to say. And today we hear people say today things like live and let live. Things like, you know, um, um, you know, follow your heart. Go with the flow. Follow your feelings. But Jesus would oppose that. There's only one way, he says. And he says, I am the way. Okay, that's Paul. How did he change? Here we have a man, and you may not be like him in, in every area. You may not be as violent as he is. You may not be as, as, as arrogant as he is. You may not have the same sort of issues. But here's a man who opposes Jesus Christ. They didn't want him. 
You might have this little bit of religion, a bit like what we hear today, some of the guys that had a little bit of Catholicism in, in their lives, and they think, oh, God, I'm a Catholic, I'm okay, but they didn't have Jesus. They might have religion. Now, religion is not what we want. Religion is binding. Religion is rubbish. Christ is not religion. Christ is relationship. And so, how did Paul change? That's the question. Well, the second thing I want to put on a humble man. Here we have Paul. He's got these letters. He's going to Damascus. He said, when I get to Damascus, I'm going to find these Christians. And whether they're men or whether they're women, I'm going to bind them up. I'm going to drag them out. I'm going to take them to Jerusalem. And I'm going to lock them up. That's what I'm going to do. So he's going down to Damascus. Something happens. As he neared Damascus... On his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, Paul is is on this road. He falls to the ground. He's in the dirt. He's on his backside. There's a bright light around him. And he hears this voice calling him by name, Saul, Saul. He finds out that this voice, when he asks who is he, is Jesus. Now, hold on, Jesus is dead. I know people who were at Jerusalem who saw him at the cross. They saw the nails. They saw the the, the, the spear going to his side. They saw his body. I know people in Jerusalem who saw him dead. How can it be that he is speaking to me? Who are you? I am Jesus. Saul turned around and asked this question. And I said, Who are you? I thought I was clever, says Paul. I thought I had it all sussed out. I've been educated. I can speak different languages. I've been in religion all my life. I'm quite a bright spark. I I, I think I know stuff, but who are you? I don't know you. Who are you? And the answer came back. I am Jesus. You know, Paul knew what that name means. That name means I'm a savior. I am Jesus. I wish more people would ask questions. I wish some people would ask this question, who is Jesus? I just wish more people would ask questions. They don't. It's like, you know, what's going on TV next week? And, you know, have you heard what's happening in the next episode of EastEnders? And, 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 and really ridiculous, no point questions. I wish more people would ask questions. How about this one? Who is Jesus? You know, Jesus, in his day, pushes that question. He turned around and says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, 
who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Okay, says Jesus, I hear what others are saying. Okay, I hear what others are thinking. But Jesus goes a step further, and he turns around and says this, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Okay, you know, I, you know, I, I hear the other people saying, uh, I might be Elijah, I might be John the Baptist, I might be Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But I'm asking you, says Jesus, what about you? Who do you say that I am? The answer of that question will determine whether you spend eternity in the presence of God or not. The answer to that question, who do you say I am? What would you say? Some of you are just thinking. Some of you, you know, I know he's a son of God. He, you know, he's Christ. Some of you are thinking these things. But not everyone is thinking the same thing. Some people may think, oh, well, I think he's a good teacher. He's a good man. He's someone in history 2,000 years ago. Nothing to do with me. But Jesus come today and speak to you in your face. And say, who do you say I am? I'm listening to the radio. And as I listen to the radio, I hear um, this advertisement about pensions, you know. And this guy says, you know, I know how to write hello on the calculator upside down, he says. And then another person says, you know, I know who designed um, Princess Diana's wedding dress. And at the end it says, but I don't know my pension." I'm not advertising pensions, by the way. But, um, but I don't know my pension. Let's take a step forward further. Do you know where you will spend eternity? Do you know? Are you convinced that because of relationship with Christ, when you go into the ground, that is not the end? Do you know that? Paul knew that. Paul was on the road to Damascus. He had a light flashed around him. He fell on the floor and a voice speaks to him and he sees somebody and it's Jesus. And he said, hold on, wasn't he dead? Yes, he was. But the death, the grave could not hold him. He's alive. And he spoke to Paul. And Paul knew, knew that Jesus was alive. The same thing that happened to Christ will also happen to you. Let's wrap this whole sermon up and bring this home with my last point. He was a prideful man, very prideful, very arrogant, very violent, but he was humbled on that road. God put him on his back in the dirt and spoke to him. And thirdly, and finally, he was a saved man. We read in our Bible reading that um, he gets up, he's blind. Three days he was blind. And did not eat or drink anything. They had to take him by the hand and lead him into the city. The very city he was going to persecute Christians, he had to be taken by the hand and led into that city. And it was during that time when he was blind, didn't eat anything for three days, during that time he was able to reflect on his life. Sometimes, my dear friends, sometimes you just have to stop 
and reflect on your life. I think that this world is running 100 miles per hour. I think we're in it. We're running 100 miles an hour. We wake up on a Monday morning. Before you know it, it's Friday morning already. You hit the weekend. Oh, wonderful, it's a weekend. Before you know it, Sunday night is upon you. And you're preparing for Monday again. And we're running 100 miles an hour. And I believe that this whole world system wants to keep you busy. Because it's important to stop and to reflect upon your life. Paul had to be stopped. And for three days, the Lord blinded him. For three days, he refused food, refused water, and stayed there for three days. And he reflected on what he was like. God had to do a work in him. And God sent this man and said to Ananias, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. What is Saul doing for the three days? God tells you what Saul was doing. Saul was praying. He's been a religious man all his life. He's been involved in Judaism all his life. But for the first time, he prays. And as he prays, God turns around and speaks and sends this man to him, Ananias. Because when you're praying, God hears you. I love what God says in Jeremiah, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Paul was never seeking God in the past. Oh, he had religion, all right. But today, that day, he would begin to pray. That day, he began to seek. And as he seek God, God turned around and said, Paul, you'll find me because you're seeking after me. He sends Ananias over there. And Ananias comes and lays his hand on Paul. The Bible says that as he lays his hands on him, immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. And he could see again. What was the first thing he wanted to do? He wanted to get up and be baptized. The whole baptism here is an outward display, outward display of what God had done inside this man's life. God has called the old Paul, the old Saul, to die. And God has caused this new man to be created. This man who once had a hard heart, God placed a soft heart in him. This man who was so stubborn and so arrogant, God humbled him and drew him to himself. God changed him, buried the old man, and resurrected something new. And that's what happens when someone gets baptized. Steve, that's going to happen to you. It's happened to you inside already, praise God. Rob, it happened to you already inside, praise God. Martina, you heard how God has changed and transformed you on the inside already. And today, on the outward, for you to see, there's going to be a resurrection coming out of the water, brand new. You know, resurrection, not only speak about what God's done already by raising them with a new life, but it also speaks that one day, when we die, when we go into the ground, that's not the end. 
God can raise us up. Brings us into his presence. Place us on a resurrected earth. Place us in a place where we'll see his glory. All because of the love of God. As I close, when I'm thinking about this message, I thought, why Paul? Didn't, couldn't God find someone else? I mean, surely he was the worst candidate. Surely he was someone that should be ignored. There must have been someone better than him, less violent, less arrogant, less stubborn. But God said, you know what? No, I'm going to choose the worst of sinners so I can show my grace and my power in his life. That's what Paul says. Paul says himself, I believe God chose me, the worst, oh, the blasphemer, a violent man, he says. But God chose me, the worst of sinners, to show his incomparable grace. If God can save him, then God can save you. If God can change him, then Christ can change him. Praise be to his name. Let's pray together and then we're going to sing again. Get ready for the baptisms. Let's pray.